Welcome to episode number 32. I'm your host, Alpha Mike, on this episode, Libertà o Liberty? What are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to always keep things on target about leftist approach to law enforcement. But I'm a firm believer in order to know where you're going, you need to know where you came from. Your past will indicate your future. On today's LPoliceRadio.com, we're going to discuss Cuba, how it became Cuba, and where is it going, and what the hell does that have to do with law enforcement on today's L Police Radio. got an interesting show for you today, folks, on episode 32. We're going to talk about liberty and the fundamental right and responsibility that comes with that title, and we're going to forge that into law enforcement. But before we get to all that, we're going to talk about a specific country, which is Cuba, and we're going to see how it became communist, how the socialist, leftist, whatever title you want to give it, actually descended into what it is today. Why is that important? Well, they creeped into a system and they overtook it. Could it happen here? Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. So you need to pay attention to the ball. So we're going to look at that and we're going to tie that into law enforcement, which is our theme How in the world did we ever get to the current situation we are in, in law enforcement? So we got a lot to cover. Now, before we get to that, for the guys out there that are listening, what in the world is going on with these freaking barbershops? What what are they, they're all thug hangouts now? I mean, they don't know anything about cutting hair, one, You know, they they, they want to play with the Clippers all day and hear hip-hop. And what happened to the old barbers? Where'd they go? This is an epidemic all over the place. And, you know, you start to wonder how the hell they even make a freaking living. I mean, obviously, for guys, there's nowhere to go, so you got to go to these thug clip shops to get a haircut. Pathetic. 
in the in the situation we live in today. But anyway, thought I'd get that out there. Went there to get a haircut uh, today, and my barber was more interested in playing with the television remote control and talking to his buddy friends. He didn't really care about my hair. He was more concerned with them. So won't be seeing me there again. But it's an epidemic. All right, I got it out. All right, all right, all right. All right, don't get, it, don't get upset. We have our El Police Radio countdown, our news countdown coming up. We're going to stick to that model, what we've been doing, which is three reports or three news articles, and then we're going to elaborate on that. Kind of hit this a little faster than we've always hit it so we can get on the matter at hand, which is a little lengthy, and we're going to go into a history lesson. So, boys and girls, I'm going to need you to have your pencils and your paper ready to take all these notes and try to figure out. There's a lot of Americans out there think they know all about Cuban society and how communists started, and some of their visions are not accurate. They're way off. So we're going to look at that, kind of bring that into the Miami fold. Then we're going to throw that all the way around into what's happening in this country. And we're going to end up in law enforcement. And could it happen here? But before we get to all that, the El Police Radio News Countdown. One. We're going to start off our first um, news segment with the profession that is lost and forgotten. What is that, boys and girls? If you've been listening, well, you know it's the profession of corrections. Seven inmates dead, 17 injured in South Carolina prison fight fighting. Columbia, South Carolina, prisoners armed with homemade knives, they're called shanks, rioted for more than seven hours inside a maximum security facility leaving seven inmates dead and bodies were literally scattered on top of each other. An inmate, uh, an inmate told Associated Press on Monday. At least 17 prisoners were seriously injured as inmates fought uninterrupted before authorities regained control of Lee Correctional Institute about 3 a.m. Monday. South Carolina prison spokesman Jeff Tallian said, Officials didn't immediately say what sparked the violence at the prison, which houses some of the state's worst and longest-serving offenders. No prison guards were hurt. <laughs> no prison guards. Here we go with the guard thing again. What? Well, I could tell you what sparked it. Well, who cares what sparked it? With this criminal enterprise, You really it doesn't matter what sparked it. They could be fighting because you disrespected somebody else inside the, the prison yard. Whoa. The bottom line is stretched thin security procedures. You have, in most prisons, you have civilian authority as the guiding principle. It's called the warden. And people will not stay in the profession because the cost or the hourly rate is so poor and the working conditions so horrible. So you got the mess you got now. Two. Our second story uh, will plug into our leftist friends that have uh, good buddies over in the criminal justice side of 
in the form of judges. Judge, money for police cannot be pegged to cooperate with uh, cooperation with ICE, Los Angeles. The United States Department of Justice cannot favor police departments that w- are willing, willingly to cooperate with immig- immigration agents when it doles out tens of millions of dollars in funding each year. A federal judge in Los Angeles ruled this week. The United States District Judge Manuel Real issued a permanent nation, nationwide ban against Justice Department policy that gave an edge in obligatory police departments applying for a community policing grant program. In doing so, Riel dealt a legal setback to the Trump administration in its aggressive campaign to crack down on illegal immigration. Here is a perfect example of how the left, the wacky left, like I like to call it, controls the narrative in law enforcement. So now they're basically saying that the Justice Department wants to award these compensations of community policing to those um, agencies that cooperate with ICE. Well, that's usually the way it should work. You do good, you get good. If you don't want to do what we want, why should we cooperate? You're not cooperating with us. Why should we cooperate with you? It's called assisting another agency. And how you can't have it both ways, folks. City, municipality, police department, sheriff's offices can't say, well, we're not going to cooperate with ICE, but you can't take away that federal money because we have a right to it also. Now, the narrative currently shows you, according to the media, that the judge ruled changing, changing 61 million Americans that voted for a president, electing him, changing that vote by basically saying, I rule from the bench. It's a bunch of baloney. It'll get overturned, of course. But the idea here from the left is to slow down the process. And there's a lot of opinions of why the wacky left want to protect immigration. But one of them is not because they love them. No, they can't stand their guts. And why? What happened to the dreamers in DACA? (laughs) Democrats didn't move a freaking inch. And they tied it to all this other stuff. Well, if we do it, then it's not fair because we... Baloney, they don't care. They don't care. They want to keep the phony narrative that they care. And they want corruption to roam. No IDs, no nothing. We trust you. Or you want to vote in this? Yeah, we don't need to ask questions in a census report. Are you an American or not? Everything undercover. For what purpose, folks? Hmm? Maybe it's a corrupt one. It's amazing. How many people believe this bull? Three. Another interesting story that I picked up in the New York Post. And our liberal friends are always talking about discrimination and and the errors of our past, and slavery, and how wrong it was, and bring down the Confederate statues, and those evil symbols that represent slavery. But they lean a deaf ear and a blind eye to what's happening in society today. New York Post, inside New York's silent sex trafficking epidemic. Inside a handsome brick building, on a three-lane 
laid street near Brooklyn Prospect Park laying one of the city's dirtiest secrets. As people stroll past the Prospect Heights home on their way to the park, the Brooklyn Museum or the bar, bar where celebrity authors give readings for the New York crowd, two 16-year-old girls were allegedly being kept inside a sex slave. For one harrowing month last year, the teens' captors forced them to strip to their underwear posing for, and then it gives the website, I'm not going to repeat it here, but post this crap on lpoliceradio.com so you can see it, and have sex worth up to 10 johns a day, prosecutors charge. The girls were saved by one of them escaping in July and ran into police, but they were just two of thousands of sex slaves being trafficked, trafficked under the noses of New York City residents every day, part of the silent epidemic that law enforcement is struggling to contain. This is going to going on everywhere, down the street, in rich neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, whether you're white, yellow, green, blue, it doesn't matter. It cuts across different ethnicities, religious backgrounds, economic backgrounds, said Laura Riso, an FBI victim specialist in New York City, tells the Post. And then it goes on with statistics. Very interesting article, and I am going to post it. But where's the wacky left? They talk so much. This is horrible. It's horrible. Slavery, sex slave business, and human trafficking is out of control. Nationwide, worldwide. But where's the outcry? There is none almost. And this shows you the hypocrisy. Where are the tens of millions of dollars for law enforcement to crack down on this? Where is our lead FBI elite um, law enforcement agency in this country leading the charge? No, they're too busy finding out if the president uses hairspray or not. We have become a society of ridiculous priorities. This is not one of them, but this is horrendous. We will be judged by our history. As I said in the beginning of this episode, you need to know where you're going. You have to know where you came from. Your past dictates your future. we got to rid ourselves of this evilness. Where in the world is the bugler? God, he's always never around when you when you need him. Libita or liberty? We've got a lot to talk about, and we're going to start with our history lessons. So, boys and girls, have your pencils, crayons, whatever the weapon of choice, and a piece of paper so you can note and narrow uh, everything we're talking about. We're specifically talking about the tiny little island of Cuba, or the country of Cuba, which is an island, and its history. Basically, it was conquered and colonialized by the Spaniards for over 400 years. But we're not going to take you all the way back 400 years because you start throwing tomatoes at me. But we are going to talk about some specific errors uh, in, in timeline 
on Cuba, 1898, 1906, 1917, 1933, 1959, this society of communism created in Cuba, how it was created because some Americans are under a false belief that a bearded superhero with a green beret liberated these poor people. And that's a bunch of baloney. 1898, it's the beginning of the American um, entry into the Spanish-American War. Now, if you look at American history, it really has some narrow gaps, you know. You've got Christopher Columbus discovering America, and then all of a sudden we just erode all the other history and we jump into a bunch of pilgrims celebrating Thanksgiving. And then we kind of just float into that, into the Revolutionary War. And American curriculums and around schools all, all over have ignored Spanish culture that have conquered many of our shores prior to this historical event. Um, states like Florida, which is Florida, which means flower in Spanish, Nuevo Mexico, Arizona, California, Montana, they're all Spanish names, folks. And because the Spaniards had a tight grip on the New World. So... If we go into the American history of 1898 and they enter the Spanish-American War, the, the destroying of the American ship, and all of a sudden, bingo, they come in three months later, four months later, bam, they wrap it all up, they win the war, they free the Cuban people. It's not the way it went down. Actually, the Cubans themselves were starting the War of Independence since 1868. That's when it started. Spain was forced to send hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of soldiers from Spain to Cuba to defend their, colon their colony of Cuba. But the war starts 30 years prior to uh, 1898. They are in a war with Cubans that are of natural birth in Cuba, and they're being oppressed by Spaniards. So they are trying to liberate themselves. Now, mind you, prior to that, all these Spanish countries in Latin America, Central, South America, even including Mexico, are liberating themselves from Spanish colonialism. And it is flooding the Central, South American, and parts of the North American continent in Mexico. And now Cuba is in its struggle of an independence war for 30 years. So in 1898, the American government kind of flows in there towards the end after 30 years of battle. And the loss of will, economic power of the Spaniards to keep this going, they basically uh, 
have no energy left, and the Americans uh, throw themselves into the war with the USS Maine and how it was blown up off the coast. We only recently learned that it wasn't true. It was a boiler that blew up and so forth. Therefore, the, uh, the Americans gaining entry into the Spanish-American War in Cuba was either accidental or it was done on purpose. And during this time, after 1898, Cuba is freed, Spaniards go home, they disappear. The Americans create what's called the Platt Amendment under William McKinley, which is the president at the time, and they imposed this amendment on the Cuban people, basically saying that they will take over Guantanamo because they needed that as a naval station, and they will control the internal politics of Cuba and it can intervene at any time they want. Cubans didn't really care because their oppressor of over 400 years was gone. Now, mind you that the oppressor, which were Spaniards, have mingled with the natives, therefore many Cubans, a large percentage of them, have Spaniard ancestry in their bloodline at this point. So this is just not an oppressor that there was no contact with the population. No, the population also recognizes as of Spaniards' heritage, okay? As a result, in 1906, under Teddy Roosevelt, the Americans find themselves just attacking Cuba for the hell of it, nothing else to do. They thought something was going to flip. They go in there. There's no army in Cuba because of the Platt, Platt Amendment. They don't establish an army. So therefore, there's nobody to fight. The Americans just landed and said, okay, we're here, and they took over. This is starting to piss off now the Cubans because they fought oh, so long against the Spaniards, and all of a sudden they're just seeing this, I come and go whenever I want. Now, American society always wanted from the time of 1860 or beyond that, the southern states in the United States wanted Cuba, either by purchase or by force. And the reason they did was because slavery in Cuba was legal under the Spanish Empire, all the way up until 1898 when they were freed. So therefore, they wanted what Cuba could provide the southern states of the United States, which is the Confederacy, and they wanted it. They even wrote a letter, the Confederacy, to President Abraham Lincoln asking for that. Of course, it was denied. But American interest was always having an eye on Cuba. As a result, 1917, American military uh, occupation of the island starts again under President Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson was one of the evil progressives that started this whole thing. If I'm going to post on uh, lpoliceradio.com an interview, a nice article, and it talks about an interview with Hillary Clinton where the journalist asked Hillary, do you see yourself as a liberal? And she immediately distanced herself from that title, and she says, no, I'm a progressive. The term progressive and liberalism is synopsis. It is one and the other. They're both mixed together, and 
But why do they want to use progressiveness as a title? And that arrange, uh, all the way originates from Wilder Wilson. And the tactics that are used behind it. Liberal kind of sounds like I want to spend other people's money, which they do. And progressiveness sounds like I'm moving forward, which are points that they use when they talk to. But in actuality, it's all the same. And now in today's progressive movement, there's also the socialist movement. Thank you, Bernie. Power to Bernie's people. And as a result, what is a socialist? It's a communist without a gun. So we kind of painted that picture, and this is 1917 now. American interests are there. In 1933, they kind of, they're concerned what's going on also. And there's a little overthrow in dictatorships, and the government is just flipping through certain leaders but America is looking for a business partner in Cuba because they can't control what's going on on the island. They don't understand the people, and God knows they don't understand the language. So therefore, they find a friend in Florencio Batista. Now, if you look at Batista, and we'll put a picture of him on elpolisradio.com, you say, he looks funny. He looks, I don't know, maybe, is he Filipino? No, he's a native Cuban. Remember, there were native people on the island of Cuba, which is really from the tribe of Guanacang, and therefore they lived in mountains and regions. So his offspring come from those Indian tribes. So he was actually of Indian slash Cuban descent. He had a motive to go against the Spaniards, and we're going to look at that now. The Spaniards, during the era that Cuba and sugar is really going through the roof, they have, uh, you have to look at the picture, during the, the Spanish-American War prior to the Americans getting there, the 30-year war, half a million Cubans were killed. And Spaniard soldiers after 1898 go back to Spain, the vast majority of them. But a lot of them couldn't wait to come back, and they used the excuse of sugar production. Since there were so many dead Cubans on the island, manual labor was very difficult to look for. So the Spaniards on the island that stayed made a call for help from the Spaniards in the country of Spain, and they immigrated back to Cuba in helping in the sugar production. So now there's this rivalry between white Spaniards, European descent, and those that are now Cuban descent. There's a lot of mixing of both races now. Remember that. I'm a product of that. Okay, my great-grandfather was a Spaniard, and he was from uh, Canary Islands, which belongs to Spain, and it, he immigrated to Cuba in, in the late 1800s, and he married a Cuban slave black. Yeah, that's right. Remember, slavery was legal under the Spanish Empire up in, prior to 1898. And 
he had 13 children, so both races are mixed. My other grand, great-grandparents on the other side, same thing. Although my great-grandfather was born in Cuba, he was his parents traveled from Spain to Cuba where he was born immediately following his arrival. So there was a mixing of races there as well. So the Cubans have that mixture. Some don't. Some are more traditionalists. You know, we only stick to our own. Thank you very much. And now we go into um, Batista's reign, basically the strong point in 1952. The Americans are happy with him, and uh, it's a great business partnership. He's as corrupt as they come. He's taking bags of money, but he's also building the country under his national umbrella. But you have to understand that the individual was not that highly educated. He was a, he, he was a sergeant in the military. And as a result, he really did not know um, how to run a country. He did know how to run a military and how to control the country. And he did that well enough for the Americans to like. Now, moving on to the story, there are two brothers, and there are many, many just like them, that are fighting Batista's rule in the name of the honor of um, the Spaniards. You see, when Batista comes in, the overthrow of the sergeant's revolution, it's called, the common soldier overthrows the higher command, which were the higher command were of Spanish uh, nobility. And therefore, they were ousted. But that rivalry continued. The Castro brothers, being bastard children because they were born of an illegitimate relationship that their father, Angel Castro, had, he was a Spaniard from Galicia. It's a region in Spain. And that's important because the region of Galicia, which they run kind of like independent states in the U.S., but they have their own. It's kind of complicated, but they have one central government and that kind of thing. They have given the Castro brothers the ability to migrate there with no, no um, uh, justice coming down on them. Of course, they've never taken it yet. We'll just say that. Now, their dad comes from Spain to Cuba. He becomes a wealthy landowner in the production of sugar, and he's using uh, Haitians as his workers, which he basically treats them just a couple steps above slavery, paying them wages very small and horrifying conditions that they work in. So they become wealthy under that. But the Castro brothers are born in, in out of wedlock and in a kind of off-the-plantation type of setting where they're not really recognized by their dad until later on. Okay? Why is that important? Well, they're Spaniards. They're little Spaniards. There are many groups like this in Cuba now that they actually don't like the idea of Cubans themselves uh, 
occupying Cuba. They want Spanish rule of Spanish heritage to control it. So they start taking over and over certain aspects of um, the revolution. The Castro brothers, if you look at any documentary, you always see Castro brothers always battling out, the, the, the rifle in hand, the green barrette in the back, the cigar, the beard. But the truth of the matter, in every battle they were always late, they were never there on time, and they did pretty much zero to nothing to overthrow the Batista government. But what the Castro brothers did very effectively was once Batista was let go and he ran from power, from the country, taking, leaving his power and taking all the money, the Castro brothers were very effective in killing and getting rid of the opposition that fought in the revolution with them. Simple as that. So the band of thieves, they kill them all, boom, 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 I'm in charge now. They never say, Fidel Castro, that he is a communist. He's a federalista. He believes in him. He saw himself as a dictator. And his brother, Raul, is a believer in communism. Kind of struggle there goes back and forth. We all know how it ends, folks. They end up being a communist country. First, they introduce socialism. Of course, we take everybody's guns. And then once everybody's disarmed, then we go ahead and we say, stick them up. And we become communists, which what they are today. The reason this is important, and this is a little island I'm talking about with a short history, and that influence overtook the government. The Spaniards regained their control of the island. On April 19th, Raul Castro steps down from power and he's going to put a puppeteer and the trend continues. Cubans are looking for two things, not only liberty and freedom like Americans have, but sovereignty in their nationality as well because although the Castro brothers have hidden behind the Cuban flag for so long, saying that they're Cuban. Yeah, they were born there, but they have always been Spaniard in mentality. And Cubans yearn to be Cuban. Americans yearn to be Americans, but there is a part of our government, whether you want to call them progressive or you want to call them liberals, or you want to call them communist, socialist, whatever it sounds like, will always tell you what you want to hear. The way they effectively work is by basically talking very sweet things in your ear. It's a courtship, folks. The job is to fool you in believing that they're for the little guy. So what do I tell you? College for everybody. Yay, and we all rally behind that. But in actuality, yeah, they'll give college to everybody. But there's a price. All progressives have a price. All liberals have 
a price. All socialists have a price. All communism, communists have a price. What's the price? Control. They need to control every aspect of your life. Not only economically, sociably, what you can believe in, you can you have firearms or not. Don't let this baloney that the so-called progressives now want to control guns. They don't want to control guns. They want to take them away completely. So what they do is they kind of talk about the assault rifle, which if you know about firearms, there's no such thing. It's an AR-15. But that doesn't stop them there. They want to take AR-15 shotguns, handguns, semi-automatics until it's all gone. BB guns, everything, gone. Why? So they can control. Control is the name of the game. You have sought... You have started to see a corrupt government, whether you're Democrat or Republican. You start, Americans are confused. Who the hell's side is anybody on? It's about control, folks. Through control, there's power. Power has money. You become an elitist. The same sickness that overtook Cuba in that simplistic form, could control and take us over as well. Why is this important? Well, our progressive friends have found a way to infiltrate our military and our police forces. How? Well, look at the military, transgender. And you can, you know, I'm Johnny, but I want to be Joanne. It's okay. You can join the military. We don't have a problem with that. They're infiltrating their phony belief systems because they don't really believe in any of these people. What they do is they create these people for their own progressive philosophies to gain control. In police work, We haven't seen Johnny turn into Joanne yet, but it's coming. Some agencies have. I've read a couple articles in California, but it's not an epidemic yet. It's coming. And they slowly are controlling agencies. Listen to me and listen to me good. If your agency in your jurisdiction and you actually believe, well, they're very effective, and they do a great job, and I love those boys and girls. They do a great job, and you don't think that that evil progressiveness is creeping into the law enforcement? Look good. Look real good. How do I identify? Well, it's simple. Simple, simple crime is not being enforced. Oh, marijuana. It's only marijuana. It's not a big deal. Are you going to arrest everybody for simple drugs? That's how it starts. And everybody knows that marijuana turns into another illicit drug and gets worse and worse and worse. So your police department becomes neutered by and through its politicians. They start infiltrating people that think like they do in these agencies, building them up, and all of a sudden, Johnny, that couldn't figure out how to tie his shoelaces, is a commander in an agency. 
as they groom, cut his hair, straighten out his uniform, making him look good. So one day, he can fulfill his progressive ideology on police department near you. Control. Military control, political control, law enforcement control, 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 control. How do you stop it as a citizen? Well, that police agency in your jurisdiction, you need to demand enforcement of the most simplest things that they are. How in the world do we have a sex trafficking epidemic in New York City that the police department is fighting with pebbles because the government of New York City maybe doesn't fund it properly. Priority list hasn't come down as that being one of the top ones. And if it's happening in New York City, do you actually believe it's not happening in your neck of woods? Of course it is. So as a concerned citizen, an American society, you know, they'll, they'll get pissed off at you because you didn't cut your grass. So you'll end up in the city council meeting because you forgot to cut your grass. But when it comes to crime, they don't know what to look for. Just recently, in the area that I live in, in Tampa Bay area, I'm watching these guys driving bikes, you know, not, not motorcycles, regular bicycles. And they're driving around in circles. So I talked to our na friendly neighborhood police officer in Publix one day. And I kind of mentioned, well, right up the road here, I see a lot of spotters. They looked at me like I was four heads and I, I came from a foreign world. What? Spotters, spotters, spotters. In other words, the guy drives around looking for law enforcement activities so he can tip off the drug house. Uh, hello, McFly. McFly. Didn't know what I was talking about. Why doesn't he know what I'm talking about? Because Sergeant doesn't know what he's talking about. Because the lieutenant's clueless. Because the agency's clueless. Because somewhere along the pecking order, there might be a progressive outlook. So, in this area, methamphetamines is out of freaking control. Yeah, it is. And probably when you live, there are other drugs that are out of control. But what do you hear from the left? Well, you know what? Well, we, we should really rethink all these laws about drugs it's killing our, 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 our prison system. We got too many people in jail for just what the hell is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. The wacky left is out of control. Allow law enforcement to, con to conduct its job with no obstruction. You know, another tactic of liberals is to start committees, oversight committees, to monitor police and corrections. Recently, Miami-Dade had that, but the union was successful this time in stopping it. But eventually, where does that come from? What is the influence behind a, a civilian review board? What the hell does that mean? Does that mean that our justice system in this country is so out of whack that I need a bunch of civilians to review what officers are doing? 
Or is there something else behind that civilian review board? Educate yourself in understanding. It's your community, and it's up to you to do something about it. Now, we're going to roll into the 09 training tip. very important subject I want to talk about in the 09 training trip. It's the beginning and the end of your tour of duty. Very seldom do people really put an importance in the beginning and the end of the tour. They kind of look at the content in the middle. But why is the beginning so important? Well, so many things that you need to make sure that you're ready for. Your equipment. Is it operable, up-to-date, and ready to go? Is there anything pending? Do you have everything that you need, including, even including, information about the tour you're about to enter? Being prepared for the unknown makes you a better capable of handling any situation. It also educates you on mistakes that others have done. How many times will you see catastrophes happening in law enforcement? It's because somebody wasn't prepared. Something went wrong. The the exiting of the tour is just as important. All my ducks in a row, is there any pending information? Are my reports up to par? And am I concluding my tour respectfully? One of the ideas that must be prevalent in any law enforcement's mindset is from what you take over, you should have 100% ability to leave it better than how you found it. That is only done through commitment. Commitment starts from the time you put on your uniform to the time you take it off. But the two most important errors of that commitment is prior to starting and prior to terminating. You see, the middle part has already been dictated through you and for you by training and policy. So you are guided through there. And you have supervision. What you need now is a good start and a perfect ending for a great career. Now it's time to jump on the scooter and head towards the conversation. I want to talk to you about the commander of the guard of the army of Syria, Naaman. Being a powerful person within the Syrian army, Naaman had developed leprosy. And he had it for a very long time. And as you know, that leprosy was very contagious. 
But he was such an asset to the king of Syria that he was a commander of their army. But it's strange how God cured Naaman of this leprosy. You see, a serving girl of Naaman's wife that had been taken captive from Israel, they, this small serving girl told the wife that back in her homeland, he could be cured of leprosy because she knows of the story especially in the section of Samaria. And, of course, the wife told Naaman. Naaman first became very angry as a result of the story. Go so far to get cured from leprosy. But nevertheless, there were no other solutions. He had had this for a long, long time. So he told the king of Syria, since he was such a great asset to Syria, the king said, I'll write your letters of passage to Israel so that you can be cured. So he gathered a lot of silver and gold because in his mind, Naaman said, I have to pay for this service. And he took all his servants with him, great entourage, and off they went to Israel. Well, when the letter arrived to the king of Israel, the king of Israel became insulted by saying, I'm supposed to be God now? I'm curing people of leprosy? And he was greatly disturbed. But there was a great prophet in the land named Elisha. So Elisha reached out to the king of Israel and said, I heard that you were disturbed over the letter that has arrived to you from Syria. Send him to me. So when Naaman did arrive, they sent him to the prophet's residence. And he got there, but he wasn't received by Elisha. No, you see, Elisha sent out his servant with specific instructions in order to be cured of the leprosy. The servant went out and told Naaman, you are to go to the Jordan River and bathe in the Jordan River. Of course, you're bathing nude seven times. Not five, not eight, but seven. The servant did a about face and went back inside the residency. Naaman became very angry as a result of this. I've come so far and this person has not even had the decency of receiving me. Doesn't he know that I'm a commander of the guard? Who does he think he is? Sends me a servant. But he became so angry that he even thought about leaving. One of his servants, Naaman, told him, we've come so far. Basically, what difference does it make? What do you have to lose? So he became outraged. I have to now bathe seven times in the Jordan? The crappy Jordan? Doesn't domestic, domestic have beautiful rivers? Why here? Outraged. And he, he couldn't overcome 
his anger. But again, his servant says, but we're here already. We might as well try it. So to the Jordan he goes, and all his servants have to witness him take off his clothes and walk into the Jordan and bathe. First time he enters, nothing happens. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, nothing is happening. The instructions were very specific. Bathe seven times, and at the end of the seventh bath, you'd be cured. Meaning there were specific instructions of obedience that you had to actually go in the seventh time, bathe, and upon completion exiting the Jordan, you would be cured. Angry all during this process, Naaman was, on each bath. But as he exited the Jordan on the seventh one, the scripture says that his skin from leprosy turned into that of a newborn. He was cured of leprosy. And God even restored him by giving him baby skin. So all the years that he had leprosy had been restored. He went back to to the prophet's home, Elisha, but again, he wasn't received. The servant came out and he said to the servant, yeah, I have silver and gold I would wish to give your master as a result of what occurred. The answer was no, he doesn't want it. Then take these donkeys as for service for him. No, he doesn't want it. Bottom line is, the servant now of Elisha became very angry, very disturbed as well. And he goes back to Elisha and says, we, you know, you said no, you know, we couldn't need this. And Elisha says, no, God did not instruct me to take what's not mine. I have no business with it. But the servant didn't last there. He ran out to find Nemean and catch up to his chariot. Nemean from afar saw him, stopped his entourage, and tried to seek what was occurring. And he said, my master has rethought the position of the money, of the gold and silver, and he'll take it. He was given it. He was paid. Upon the return of the servant, Elisha said, where did you go? He said, I didn't go anywhere. Are you sure? And he basically told him, because of your attitude and because of what you have done, the leprosy that has left Namian has entered into you for life. See, God was restoring one, and punishing another. He was punishing one that wanted material things. Service to God wasn't important. What was important was material things. He was also curing one, not necessarily of his leprosy, but of his ego. His ego was so big 
Look at me. Look who I am. Commander of the guard. Great Syrian. Who does this Jew think he is? The act of God curing the leprosy was so easy. But he had to break him down, humiliate him to change his attitude. To believe that there is a higher power. And that that power is in the form of Jesus Christ, the Lord himself. There are so many people that you know that have problems of ego. They look at themselves above all others. Sometimes even things that will save them, they look down upon. But God sometimes doesn't save them of what afflicts them. Sometimes God's policy or God's plan for you is to cure you from what's robbing you of the blessing. What's up next on episode number 33? Well, we're going to, as always, look at a new topic. And, you know, a lot of people have asked me, do we have enough topics out there? Do we have enough topics? There are plenty of topics. This topic we're going to talk about the famous bed and breakfast. It's open 24 hours, has no smoking rooms available, 24-hour security and surveillance, three meals provided for you in your stay every day, and a color television in a day room, and most importantly, free laundry so you can launder your clothes while you stay. What's our episode number three? 33 going to be about? Well, corrections, the forgotten enforcement policy. You know, we looked at a lot, and I want to recap before I end this show. My journey with you through the history of Cuba was not to provide that for you for historical positioning, but to let you know that we can't be of ego like Namian was and say, well, I was over there in that little shack of a country. That would never happen here. No, folks. Your eagle should be humbled at all times, knowing that anything that has occurred somewhere else in the world can happen right in your own backyard. It's so important for you to be grounded in sensibility and not in your ego. Just as Naaman released himself for that leprosy, God also changed him of his ego. It's so important for you to realize that the freedoms that we have in this country, we can easily lose. Look around. Look at the evidence that's there. A government that is corrupt, a government that is fighting against its own people, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. Some are more wackier than the others, but they seek one thing, control. They've been in Washington for eons, refusing to let go of power, because power means control, control means money. And they are, uh, their existence is based on that, not the Constitution, not your freedom, not your white picket fence in front of your house, but what they want, which is control and power. Yes, folks, it can happen right here. And it can start with your law enforcement agency. Remember, it's to enforce laws. 
So if we enter that agency like a great Trojan horse story, infiltrate it, and chop its legs off, it won't enforce too many of those laws. You can look now at the FBI and see what was so selective on laws that were written. They didn't have exceptions in it. The law never said, this is against the law, but except for Hillary, it's not. But the agency that did the investigation looked the other way. Why the exception? You that are listening to me now, would the FBI have given you an ex exception? A slide, a pass, talk to you, not placing you under oath? These are things that you as an American citizen and, and I as an American citizen have to ask. Yes, folks, whether you like him or not, if the FBI, the political politicians in this country, can attack with such fury the president of the United States, who are you? Who are you? Are you naming? We'll see you on the next episode of El Police Radio. Be safe. I'm out.